ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap and welcome back to a situation where you can hopefully see me because for the last five minutes, Rian, I've been trying to figure out technology for what feels like the hundredth time, but we figured it out. Now, hopefully you can see me and everything remains the same. Uh, famous last words, as I said, to Rian, like 20 seconds ago. <laughs> anyway, welcome back. It's good to talk with everybody. It's good to see you all. Obviously we can't see you, but hopefully again, you can see us and we're here, of course, to talk about everything that happened over the last week or so of games. We've had weekend games in the Premier League and La Liga. We've had cup games in Spain and in England and what feels like, I believe, in France and elsewhere. Uh, we, Rian, we didn't even talk about this, but I'll mention it. We haven't talked about Juventus um, just absolutely falling off the bandwagon, uh, both as a club and just performance-wise <laughs> slightly as well. Um, against Napoli, I mean. But... A lot, a lot that we have to to talk about and get through. But before I mean, we, we have a we, we the like U.S. soccer who doesn't have a sporting director or yes. general manager or coach, <laughs> right? <laughs> and we lost to Serbia last night, so that happened. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but like those the January games don't mean anything. I know, I, but, I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, we missed a lot. Basically, um, but we're here to talk about it all. But first, before I get into that, Rian, um, I realized about a week ago that for those of you who don't know, we're based in the northeast of the U.S., New York area, and New York is coming up on basically the longest streak of no recorded snow ever <laughs> in like basically a calendar period, not even a winter season. It makes me really sad. I, I, I like love the snow and love just messing around. Like I've, I feel like a kid again, anytime it snows and now I'm going on vacation somewhere really warm soon. And I know, I know it's going to snow in that period. I, it has to, it has to, it's just my luck. Yeah. I, I mean, not to potentially make you a, a little sad here, but I, it did snow yesterday. It did. A little, like yeah. it, it, I saw it, right? Like it fell from the sky, but like nothing actually stuck to the ground. But okay, you're so talking about snow actually sticking. Yeah, I mean, like it's like, yeah, yeah. Like I wanna, I wanna be, I wanna feel like I have to stay inside and drink hot chocolate and use your freaking fancy ass machine. Like that's what I, that's what I want <laughs> yeah. for myself. But I'm yeah. not there yet. <laughs> yeah, that that we have not had that. You're right. It's. It's been a long while since we've had. I mean, but the I, I guess it'd be cool. Like, it, it, obviously, I love. You're like I don't give I love, a shit. About I love this. snow when it's like untouched, of course. When it's like nice, like and and I get to stay inside. Correct. Um, the thing is, like here, the snow turns into like <laughs> like uh, I don't know. Mush? Like mush, mush is the right way, but I'm trying to describe like the disgustingness of it. But like black and slush, basically like the like terrible, terrible like the chocolate. Not chocolate, such a. I don't I don't know how to describe it. It looks like charcoal. It looks like basically <laughs> charcoal. That's yeah, that's the color charcoal. Yeah, 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 hundred yeah. percent right. Yeah, um, and that happens like within an hour, basically, of the correct. snow being on the ground. So it's. I like snow days too, but probably <laughs> snow days when there's like when the snow doesn't turn into like mushy charcoal. True, I think this is our sign that we're just getting older. Like I, a, I don't like snow as much as I used to, but more importantly, the way that we talk about it now is like an inconvenience. Like, oh well, I have to go to work or get groceries or do all these things. But in the past, it was like, oh, I can just sit inside and chill for a day. I wonder actually yeah. snow days are even a thing for like kids now because of like yeah, so during the pandemic. I, I, I'm here like it's I think like the last year or so it's it has not well obviously it hasn't snowed that much here specifically, but um I think that for the most part it's less of a thing because now all of them have like the infrastructure yeah. zoom basically to be able to do these classes. So I don't know. It's I mean, it's also kind of like if you do it on a day when it is snowing a lot and you're talking about like elementary school kids or middle school, like, I mean, high school, all, all the way through high school, too. Yeah. No one's going to want to do work. Like, like people are, it's not going to be a productive day of learning, basically. It's just not going to be a productive day. So 100%. there's probably no point in taking away snow. Like, there's no point in taking them away. 
I don't disagree. I don't disagree. But we're not here to talk about snow, even though it's like my fun fact of the week. Uh, we are here to certainly talk about, let's start in the Premier League, as we always do, and talk about our game of the week, or I guess game of the weekend, technically, because there were multiple games between now and basically last weekend. But game of the weekend, Rian, where do we start? I, I know where we're starting, but I want you to tell me where we're starting. <laughs> uh, we are starting with the Arsenal Manchester United game, a game that probably I don't think like personally for for me and Ellie, you can let let me know. Um, it it doesn't make me feel any more confident about like Arsenal's chances and that it, to win the title, I should say, and. I say that because, like, I think my feeling towards them being able to win it was already so high as is, and and uh, and I think they're a better team than United, even though they did lose to them in that first game. But I think more important than than anything else, even if you do believe that they're the better team, and they should have they like expected and you expected them to win this game. I think just in terms of like momentum, it's still a really Im- important win for them to get, and just kind of keeps keeps like supporting the confidence that they already had going into these games between the players, the coaches, obviously the fans in the stadium, like this, the the atmosphere, especially when Nketiah scored, that goal was, was, was a really impressive. Um, but yeah, I think like so for that momentum wise, it's like, it was really significant for, for the whole vibe around the, the team right now. And to believe, especially that they can win these games, even when, the game doesn't go it goes a bit unlucky for them because yeah you know, really the scoreline kind of flattered united outside of like two what one special moment from rashford and and one funny looping header from from uh Lissandra martinez but um i think arsenal i think like the the feeling around that would have been real disappointment to not win that game because i think that, that they were just so much better especially in that second half and and I couldn't agree with you more. Look, every team needs a little bit of luck. And I think, and funny enough, both teams did get a little bit of luck in this game. Um, but I do think that the scoreline sort of masked how dominant Arsenal really were, right? And one of the things that I, I sent to you was just, I was curious about this after the game because at least visually, it looked like, again, Arsenal were very dominant in a majority of the game, right? There are periods where United had possession, but Arsenal were the dominant team. Arsenal had 25 shots total. They racked up over 3.5 XG over the entire game. But most importantly, and I shared this with you as well offline, but what I loved about these shots is that two things. One, they had 63 touches in United's box alone. That's the highest total in any Premier League game this entire season by any team. And United only had 12, right? Which to me tells me, yes, Arsenal were very dominant, but also United had to rely on individual quality to even get remotely close of a score too remotely close of a scoreline and then secondly their average shot distance was 14.2 yards and that's the third closest average shot distance that united have allowed all season right and so you think back to like the brentford game you think back to um gosh who did they lose to early in the season um brighton brighton thank you um you think back to those games like those are probably the type of games that they were allowing that that sort of shot distance to um, to those teams and only five of Arsenal shots were outside of the box. So Arsenal were finding spaces like I'm going to, I'm going to say maybe the only point I disagree with you on is that it did make me a little bit more confident in Arsenal, like, like slowly just seeing how they actually were able to carve up space through United that, that did help a little bit in my, in my thinking about the confidence of this team, maybe not like from like, a betting standpoint, but that everyone has their own risk tolerance for that. Yeah, and I, and I like I like the way you put that because, like, even though over the course of the entire game, we'd probably say they played better, so like so much better than United that they that they it would have been really disappointing not to win the game. But to be able to come back from being down a goal, um, first off, and then. Of course, having to, you know, obviously overcome the the second goal they give up on a on a really kind of scrappy uh, set piece play. That's still really impressive to 
for them to be able to keep the pressure on, especially like as that game wore on, like a, a great sign of a really good team is is being able to keep sustained pressure against another side who is who you know United have been a very a good defensive team this season. One after those first four or five games, when Tanog realized that they can't play the way they the way that he probably wants them to play right now. Um, or wants them to play in the future, their defensive record has been really good. And so I think that it was really, really encouraging uh, if you're an Arsenal fan to see how they were able to keep that pressure on and keep building the pressure for the rest of the game as well. Um, But as you said a little earlier, like they did need a, a bit of luck, right? Like even that, that, that goal that, that Nketiah scores at the end I think it's Juan Basaka. It could have it could have been one of the other United defenders. Maybe it was Shaw or or potentially even Fred. I can't I can't remember exactly who it was, but um, I think it's it's Zinchenko's cross into maybe Osaka, but one of the United defenders gets back there and gets his foot on it, and and Katia is just in a just a great positioning like in terms of, like poaching wise and the ball just does just happen to come his way and and it's a really good like quick finish like, like acrobatic in a sense and very instinctual but all that to say that they did need a bit of luck and in general like almost every team that wins a title needs some luck right uh, you, you, that's kind of the nature of the sport, <laughs> like, like winning any championship. Like, we know that you need a lot of luck in like a, a cup game or in specifically like a tournament. Right. But you, you definitely need luck like over the course, not of the course of every single game of your league season, but we're talking about when you're, when you're talking about going in city, especially like, yeah, you probably need luck in four or five of your games and you probably need them to be unlucky in like four or five of their games for this to work out too. But um, I think they're getting that luck and that's great. And when you look at like the past champions and comparing to Arsenal, Arsenal this season, they're outperforming their expected points by about eight, by about eight points. And expected points is really just a lot. Um, depending on the actual expected goal difference between teams in each game. And again, it's one of those models that's run off of thousands of, of um, like historic score lines, right. And historic uh, XG performances as well. But depending on what the expected goal difference is, there's kind of like a average point total that's assigned to whether the game's going to be a win loss or draw. And for Arsenal, again, like, there's been some games where they where they haven't necessarily been the better team and and gotten points and that's kind of what you need to happen to for to be able to win the league like city right now are about level on their expected points but if we go back like in previous seasons just like a couple examples liverpool in 2019 20 season where they won the that's title the perfect example yeah they they outperformed their their expected points by 25 <laughs> that's like insane. If, like we can remember that season where they did score a lot of very late winners, right? And it was a, it was a lot of come um, turning draws into wins happened a lot in their case, right? Uh, yeah. Twenty eighteen nineteen city outperformed theirs by about seven points. They outperformed by about nine in in the twenty eighteen season, and then we can go back even as far as Chelsea, who in Conte's winning season they outperformed their. Point, their expected points by about 17 points so <laughs> it's good to be good of course that's it's, it's always good to be playing well yeah. but it's great to be good and lucky so um I, I think this, again these are all signs that are pointing in the right direction for arsenal right now and potentially being able to go up eight points and still obviously two huge games against city left in the season uh this this was a good game, a good I think momentum building game for them, um, and more than something that I think should change people's minds drastically about 
whether they've whether they should be like in the title or, or title contenders or whatever the yeah. hell you people want to call it that they wait until <laughs> there's some like significant enough result for them to start start saying a team's good enough to win the title. But uh, well, not, yeah, they're not going to go ahead and beat Manchester City, you know, four nil. Like that's not, and if they do, uh, yeah, you might as well hand them the, the, the <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, fine, but they're not going to. What I do, I just, I'll quickly comment on this because it's not Arsenal specific. I want to just briefly just touch on United. Um, a player that has been arguably one of the most informed players in England right now is Marcus Rashford. Obviously, he scored a wonderful solo goal. Um, he scored multiple solo goals in the last three weeks, quite frankly. Um, and in some ways, I think he's, he's masking some of what United are going through. But I just want to make the argument really quickly that I think you, er, I think Rashford had one of his poorest games in the last month in this game. I think he was pretty isolated, and there are two really telling statistics that that kind of prove my point here. From an expected goal standpoint, yes, he was one of few players that actually created any sort of XG for them, but let it be known that if you're looking at just XG, it can tell its own story for you because Scott McTominay and Marcus Rashford had the same expected goals just on an individual basis. And we know where that actually came from for, for McTominay. It was his one shot. Obviously, Rashford is a much more talented player and his shot went in, so it obviously matters more. And it just looked incredible. But the thing that really did it for me was throughout this game, he did, like I mentioned, look isolated. And I think the statistic that tells the story the most is the number of touches throughout this entire game. Marcus Rashford was second to last, only only in front of Fred, who was subbed on. He had, uh, beyond that, he had the lowest number of touches in the entire team during this game with 26. Luke Shaw, for example, had the most number of touches. That is, I think, more of a defensive commentary than it is attacking. But that goes to show you that Outside of his one incredible dribble and run, which he does have in him, like he has clearly regained his confidence in his form under Ten Hag, I don't think Marcus Rashford had a good game. And I think a lot of people were pointing to him and saying, oh, you know, United played really well and they had a great, you know, Rashford goal. I just, that's the one area where I would critique fans and, and people on their on their narrative there. Yeah, well, you know, we know how much people love to use goals results <laughs> outcome bias as as you might no. call it to just <laughs> what <laughs> crazy i mean it's impossible to have a bad game if you score it's of course it's, yeah every team that's <laughs> every team that's won has always been the better team that's 100%. how it works as well yes, uh, yes. but no i think that's a good point like arsenal's defending was great in that game like they the second half was really just United trying to hold on. They get a scrappy goal, and they're just holding on for that entire game. And it's a pattern that we've seen this season um, from United in general. Like we know that they're that in a lot of ways their success is a lot of the thing that made them successful successful under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And at the end of the day, like I, I don't think that's a critique on on Eric Ten Hag at all. Like they did try the other way, and we saw how that went for the first month of the season. And they they simply just don't have the players to, I think, really control these games against like very good sides. Is kind of the specific point. And I think when we get to the Europa League, when they play Barcelona, we're gonna see the same pattern of play in the game. Not saying we're necessarily gonna see the same like performance or results, but the pattern of play will be very similar. They're going to play against basically any other side that has good technical midfielders. That's just kind of how it is right now. Um, they're going to play more on the counter, and that's where they're going to be the most successful right now. Uh, yeah, that's that's the thing, right? Like They're going to be the most deadly in that way, and that's okay. I think It's like fine to admit that, and it, it kind of plays into their hand in some ways that they have at least in the Europa League tie specifically, somewhat of an aging Busquets and who knows what else happens in that game. But like, yes, I entirely agree with your point. Um, and that's okay for them to play that way because it's right now it is what is working. And I think Ten Hag will take that 10 times out of 10.
Well, maybe nine times out of 10, because the one would hopefully be yeah. a situation where he has better players. But right, that's a, right, that's right. a summer conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think at the end of the day, like, if, if they finish in the top four, that's still, I think you, when you look at this team, that's quite achievement still. So I don't think this is the, the one of the four best teams in the league right now. Uh, they might they might be borderline four, but like yeah, I don't think comfortably. Not comfortably. Um, yeah. Well, Rian, why don't we move on beyond the game of the weekend? We talked a little bit about obviously Arsenal's significance here and um, what it means for them, and even in some ways what this means for United. But um, we have to move on and talk about, uh, I guess. What could only be described again as a cyborg playing in this league. Uh, we have to give our flowers to Erling Holland. Is it how many hat tricks does he have now in the league? <laughs> it's it's four four Premier League hat tricks. That's absurd. oh my gosh. We're, we're, let me. I just want to put context around this. By the way, I don't know the last player to score four Premier League hat tricks, but we're only halfway through the Premier League season. And regardless of how you look at it, that is a stupid scoring record. Continue. <laughs> it's it's insane. Yeah, <laughs> it's real. I don't, I don't know how much more I can say about it. Um, yeah, say for, wild stats. Yeah, yeah, and, and look, and you know, the interesting thing. I I only got to catch the highlights of this one against Wolves, but in the game against united and then against spurs i believe it was the second game yeah um in that last week before leading up to this wolves get match he's actually tried to come deeper a lot more maybe not a lot but he's come tried to come deeper a significant amount more i think in the last few games uh i'm interested to see how that like progresses for the rest of the season but he's tried to come deep um, and you're seeing him more willing to do it. And he's trying to link up play a bit more. Um, I'm, I'm still feel like this, like his, I, I, it's crazy to say this because a guy scored 25 goals already in, in 19 games. Um, but I still think that you're going to really see his value to this team in the champions league. And in those games that get a bit, uh, more chaotic and more, and we're just you know, City will have less control. Like we, like we saw obviously to the end of their season last in the Champions League last season with Madrid, where that last like ten ten ish fifteen minutes of, of regular time was just chaos. It was like utter chaos. Like there was, there was a lot of game turned to basketball for a bit there, right? Where they they did come close to scoring that that clinching goal a couple times, but that style of play like will suit for Holland more, I think. Um, and, and, and will make him more valuable. I think, I think he'll be more valuable in those games because he is scoring a, a lot of the goals he's scoring are like the goals that basically everyone else on city was scoring last season. Uh, like, I mean, obviously there's some exceptions here and there, <laughs> not every single goal, but like, uh, a lot of the goals that were being scored and divvied up by like Gundawan and Foden and um and whoever else was playing false nine in the in a particular game, it, it seems like Holland is getting a lot of those now, and that's and he's just like like a vacuum. He's hoovering up all of those chances. Yeah, no one else yeah, is yeah. going in those areas. <laughs> That's a that's a spot on analysis. I I actually usually I try and tweak one or two things you say, but that that's I think exactly what's happening. And the Champions League piece we talked about a little bit um, last time. The only thing maybe I'd add is I think Holland dropping deeper is obviously very deliberate, but it's allowing spaces to be created for Riyad Mahrez on the right and Jack Grealish on the left. And I think you've seen that you saw that in their game against Spurs, right? Very much so. You saw that um, in their game slightly against Wolves as well, but more so in that game against Spurs, I think about, again, how much space opened up for Riyad Mahrez when Erling Holland basically, they were, <laughs> Mitch City were playing ISO. Like, I, I don't know how else to put it other than that's literally what they did, and you saw Riyad Mahrez score twice from that, and it worked. Uh, I don't know if that's more of a commentary on Spurs or City. I, I would say City. Uh, but I, again, 
I think that's that's something that you will probably continue to see, as Riyad mentioned, in, in the Champions League. Because Holland is either, A, going to get those chances um, over the top and behind center backs. It's going to just absolutely cause nightmares. Or they're going to play ISO. ISO football. That's the name of the podcast. Name of this episode. Continue. <laughs> No, no, I think that, that was that was all I had to say on the on um Holland. Like again, the who you can tell me just about any total that he ends up with for the rest of this season, and I would believe it. Um, so yeah, the guy's just ridiculous. It's it's he's like he's just a savant in terms of like positioning, and then also a, a ridiculous like physical. <laughs> Specimen. as well so yeah um he's large. yeah just just another amazing week from him um another guy that had an amazing week was brighton's left winger kaoru matoma i hope i'm saying his first name right um but left winger on on brighton japanese player who wrote a dissertation on dribbling on like the art of dribbling when he was uh in university at the same time he played university soccer in, in japan and and now he's here which is again like obviously everyone's route is different like not no one route is the same um but you just don't hear about that a lot <laughs> so um amazing game another another great display against um lester for for um, Karamatoma and Brighton, who end up drawing the game 2-2, but continues to be one of the best wingers in the league. He's like seventh in goal-creating actions per 90 right now. <laughs> and to think that Brighton are, like sold on Leon Trossard, and Matoma's been basically starting in his place the last... Basically since the World Cup like ended. Um, and then maybe and was playing more and more right leading up to the World Cup as they move Trossard into kind of like a center forward position, but Sol Trossard who primarily plays on the left and Matoma's there and the guy's just doing great. <laughs> and he's just aesthetically such a really beautiful player to watch. Like his dribbling is, is honestly what you'd expect of a guy who wrote a dissertation on dribbling. So <laughs> Yeah, I actually, funny enough, I didn't know about the dissertation. This is this is news to me. Um, I had no idea about it. But his goal this weekend against Leicester was nothing short of immaculate. Um, certainly goal of the uh, year contender. Uh, just something absolutely outrageous to watch. Like, dare I say it felt Neymar-esque? Did, is is that fair to say? I, I, I'm going to say I, it. I, I... If you, yeah, for if anyone hasn't seen the goal, yeah, like, yeah, it does look Neymar esque, and he's been putting up Neymar esque stats honestly in the games in the minutes that he's played in the Premier League. This hit me with season. them. Do you have them in front yeah. of you? Or are you are you about to read oh, them yeah, off? Of he's he's <laughs> in the ninetieth percentile for non penalty expected goals and expected assists uh, for wingers in the Premier League, and then going back to his beautiful like artistic dribbling <laughs> he's 96 percentile in, in completed dribbles and 93rd percentile in successful dribbles so the the guy is not gonna be on brighton in in you know 18 months from now probably if if he continues to play at this level and of course if he stays healthy but just uh unbelievable un unbelievably talented um player and just comes out it came out of nowhere but yeah. for us, it came out of nowhere. For us, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'm starting to slowly realize, before we move on to the disappointments, Brighton are basically the Premier League Sevilla in that they generate incredible talent, uh, sell them off for a fee and a half, uh, but are still still putting up amazing performances because of incredible structure and incredible coach. I just had that realization, but let's move on to disappointments. Talk about <laughs> more horrible things. Um, Rian, this past weekend, I'll say this. Um, well, last week you said, yeah, this game is at 7.30 a.m. on a Saturday. Um, I don't expect you to get up for it, but I'd, I'd understand if you didn't. Um, 
I woke up for it. I regret it, but I woke up for it. Um, I think that first half of Liverpool-Chelsea was about as bad as of a half of I've probably seen in the Premier League this entire season. I mean, it was it was poo-poo. I, I can't think of another synonym other than that. <laughs> Please tell me your thoughts. <laughs> I mean, there's there's probably been as bad or worse games in the in the league this season, but you didn't watch them for good reason, because <laughs> <laughs> they were probably similarly similarly games with two mid table or lower teams playing against each other. Um, yeah, I, I the game was terrible. Um, the combined pass accuracy between the two teams was like seventy seven percent. And honestly, that might <laughs> that might be getting heavily um, weighted upwards by like passes from the center backs. Uh, so it, it's it was a really tough game. But, like both sides are so much poor passing from the midfields in the first half, um, and just teams that seemed, as you might expect, with the injuries that they had, and they and coming to that game. There's two teams that combined for 14 injuries <laughs> to, to players who, who started this season, um, uh, go into the game. But yeah, it was just, it was just two teams who are in a pretty bad moment, obviously because of those injuries, but also because they're, they're like major surgery that is either currently happening or needs to happen within the next six to eight months um, between the both of them. And, and this season, they're just kind of, just kind of meandering along, honestly. Um, it, yeah, not a great game. <laughs> I feel like both teams are truly like, they're in their sophomore slump. That's the only like analogy that I can make here with the other, I guess, potential analogy being um, they're in like that spring break mode where, you know, you still got a bunch of class and work and stuff and improvements that you still need to make in order to get a, you know, quote unquote passing grade or whatever a relative passing grade is for yourself. But you just don't have the energy, the will, or the belief that that's even possible. Um, so you've taken a hiatus during spring break to see if you can get any of that back. That's how I feel about both of these teams right now. I am so curious, Premier League aside for a second, how both Liverpool and Chelsea do in the Champions League come next month. I am so curious because Chelsea, of course, have Dortmund and Liverpool have Madrid, who have their own issues, but we'll get to that in a little bit. I... I could very well see a situation where both of these teams do not make the quarterfinals. <laughs> like, I'm full out. I, I think I'm not putting money on it or anything. I'm just saying. I don't think that's unreasonable. No. <laughs> I don't think that's really, I don't think that's remotely unreasonable. No, um, I'd, I'd, I'd go as far to say probable, but not likely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'd, I'd be surprised if they both made it through. I'll, I'll put it that way. Fair um, enough. So, but. I think kind of going back to your analogies, like I feel like these are two teams that are like second semester seniors, honestly. (laughs) Not even a sophomore slump. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like second semester seniors, like you've done almost all the work and like, hopefully at this point you're like the last six months are, you're just jaded by that point. Like, like whether, whether you need to do well in those last, in that last semester or not, like you're pretty jaded from the entire like experience of college. Like you're like, this is coming out to the end. I either want to see my friends or like, I'm ready to get out of here. Like period. Um, and yeah, the, the thing that kind of <laughs> really supports my argument there is like, I, I read uh Ryan O'Hanlon r- right before the game wrote about like why, these two teams that were have been so good over the last two years. I mean, Liverpool obviously over the last like five years, um, but were so good. I mean, the pre- previous season played in played in some of the best games in in Europe against each other. Um, why are they so poor this season? And it's something that I think we might have mentioned before, but 
couple factors, the, the amount of games that they've played and kind of the, the age of the squads, right? Like in last season, like Liverpool had the fourth oldest squad, like by average age, and Chelsea had the sixth oldest. <laughs> and in this season, Liverpool have gotten even older. And, the, and these are, these are average age dependent on the minutes played. Right now, Liverpool's average age of minutes played is 28 years old, and Chelsea's has gone up as well at tw- basically 28 years old, too. And then you throw in the fact that over the past two years, Chelsea played 122 competitive games more than any other team in Europe. Are you uh, Wait, you're saying yeah. it's relative to other teams? Yeah, 122 no. competitive games. A ton more or no, just no, 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 122, just in, in general, oh, like okay. overall, okay. overall. No, not more, That's not so more. Crazy. Yeah, uh, more, more than any other team in Europe. Liverpool had the third most with 117, and since the start of last season, Liverpool has played in 92 games, and Chelsea have played in 90. So <laughs> you think that that might also be catching up to them too? You throw in the amount of games and the fact that neither squad got younger really and you kind of see <laughs> some of the strategy behind Chelsea's most recent signings it's a lot of 20 23 and under basically players uh, it, it probably gives you a bit more context into two teams that are probably at this point just for lack of a better term like knackered and you're seeing it in how they play when they are on the pitch and the injuries that are happening like in general to both sides. Well, I'm assuming that this summer is going to be a big summer for both of these teams, more so on the outgoing side, quite honestly, than the, the incoming, but that's only a, a lesson or not a lesson, but a fact that some people within the club know. And then we simply don't, we just commentate on how that the expectations and uh, what I guess the reality is related to the outcome uh, on the field. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, we, oh, I forgot one last thing. Um, Everton fired Frank Lampard. So that happened. Um, are you surprised? No. Okay, cool. <laughs> no, not, not at all. I, I, I was surprised about the stories that have been coming out about, you know, threats towards their board. You know, we, we had a couple of weeks ago where they didn't come to the game because of threats that were made. And then we found out after that, that a few weeks before that, their CEO was put in a headlock by a fan. <laughs> as, 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 so horrible, as horrible as that is, that image is absurd because like Scouse fans are are actually nuts. <laughs> On on every in every sense, yeah, that's not great. That <laughs> is really not great. Yeah, it's um, this is all. It's really sad. Like it's it's like a year <laughs> on, and they're basically in the same situation that they were a year from uh um in end of January twenty twenty two. Wow, I don't really have much to say on Everton other than um, they might be the most poorly run club in England. I think it's as simple as that. Now can we move on and take a break? (laughs) Okay, cool. Well, we'll go ahead and take a break. We'll come back, talk a little bit about Spain, and we'll wrap up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the pod. We're going to shift focus away from the Premier League, all the, I guess, semi-disappointing things going on there. Talk a little bit about what's going on in La Liga. So, Rian, let's start with our La Liga game of the week slash weekend. It's kind of a combination of two games. Uh, but we're going to focus on Real Madrid a little bit more. We didn't talk about them too much last time. We talked about how a little disappointing they've been, of course, coming off the back of the Spanish Super Cup final and now looking towards a pretty tough run of games against Bilbao. And now, I were at least day of recording, um, what was the Madrid derby in the Copa del Rey. And both of those turn out to be wins for uh, for Real Madrid. And by the way, a tale as old as time, a tale as old as time, uh, Real Madrid beating Atletico Madrid in a comeback situation. I could have, I could have bet hard on that happening the minute Atletico scored. Probably one of the, their best team goals of the season. Yeah, it was really nice. It was actually a really nice yeah, goal. Yeah. Um, and 
could, you probably would have put money on someone on Atletico and getting a red card as well. <laughs> I would have put it on Savage himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, um, now oh, look, looks like we're potentially heading towards another Classico, <laughs> um, final, uh, cause I think we finished up the quarterfinals today, right? With, uh, Athletic or Bilbao getting through. Bilbao um, beating Valencia 3-1. Um, yeah, at Mestalla. At Mestalla, which is, again, also not an easy thing. Um, just kind of goes to show, which is an interesting parallel, right, between Real Madrid playing Bilbao this past weekend um, and squeaking out a win. That the second Tony Kroos, or the second goal, which is Tony Kroos' goal, was beautiful. And I, I want to talk about that game in a little bit. But all these teams are sort of like playing each other all at the same time, which is really funny. Um, but focusing on Real Madrid specifically, to, like to your point, they played Bilbao over the weekend. Kareem Benzema scores, and the rest of the game is, as everyone England in England famously knows, uh, the definition of squeaky bum time. And that felt like the entire theme of the game for Real Madrid in the second half. It felt like that for large portions of this game. I think one of the things – basically, I'll say this. Real Madrid were on a tightrope for the entire game almost, but the fact that they did not concede a goal is pretty impressive. And we'll get into kind of defensive records in, in a little bit during our, our Flowers portion of the La Liga uh, side, but I fully expected Real Madrid to at least concede one goal, especially especially at Bilbao um, in in their state. It's in, I'm I, why am I thinking San Mamez? And that's right, right? Yes, San Mamez. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know why I'm blanking today. But anyway, the point that I'm trying to make is off of the back of that 2-0 when Real Madrid, while not looking great, took a step away from going back into a or go, or going into a crisis. So back off the ledge a little bit. Ancelotti's job is a little bit safer. One of the things that he said after this game, which was really interesting to me, Ancelotti basically said, and something I credit him a lot for, is practicing what he preaches. And in this press conference, he sort of said something along the lines of like, look, a player like Ceballos, for example, probably deserved more minutes last year. And he's giving him more minutes now. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Because last season, Danny Ceballos played 286 minutes in the league, which is the equivalent of nothing. He basically did not play league football majority of last season this season while he is not i believe at the 286 minute mark i have to double check the exact figure um this season he has already scored a crucial winner against villarreal in the copa del rey to move them in even into the quarterfinals otherwise they're potentially going out uh, again to villarreal losing to them in the span of like a week twice and He's also proved to be one of their more dynamic players right now on in that left-hand channel. And you sort of saw that in a little bit in the Atletico game today. And you're starting to think to yourself, huh, Rian, and I don't want to make this a personal battle about Danny Ceballos now because I know how you feel about him, but um, could this be the season in which you're starting to say, see – the players that really did not get any playing time last season or did not step up, like Danny Ceballos, even like Marco Asensio, who basically semi-created their uh, go-ahead goal against Atletico today, are we seeing those players become a little bit more dependable? That's that's sort of where I'm going with Real Madrid. That's where I think they're they're going, and I think that could actually be the solution to some of their problems, is players that have a chip on their shoulder. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you'll see that they need it, right? Like, to think that they would be able to run out the two oldest players in their midfield from last season and, and think that they would be able to play them as many minutes as they did as they did last season, start as many games, and be able to get through an entire league season where they're healthy or and or you know, at peak physical condition or, or in form for the entire season, like that was always going to be really difficult. And it's where I said they needed to have 
players to be able to actually come in and, and play in those positions. And it's also why I said after that, the uh, Super Cup final, that I was kind of feeling nervous about what their depth looks like. And, and I'm still a little nervous about what it looks like, especially in Champions League games. But as we go throughout the rest of the season, I, I am still like not completely sold on... <laughs> We might have Dan Ceballos come in, of course, and, and he he might be able to like deputize in some good situations. I think what's still a bit concerning is the Kamavinga part of it, where they really don't have a back. Like, like Trumani has is, is become <laughs> arguably their most important player right now, <laughs> like, considering how that midfield looks when he's not in it. Uh, so that's still a big question mark. 100 percent by the way i just want to clarify danny ceballos has officially crossed his uh his number of minutes from last season at 330 uh league minutes uh at least so specifically talking about the league um so yeah i i i think it's it's partially out of necessity to your point i didn't really think about it that way and partially because yeah these players are still semi-quality players they just have not played in a long time um, there is, I guess, some sort of reason why Real Madrid still has them as players on their bench. But nonetheless, Real Madrid are now into the semifinals of the Copa del Rey. They are still very much in the league title race. That's not changing anytime soon. Um, both Barcelona and Real Madrid, um, first and second, 44 for Barcelona, 41 for Real Madrid. But I- I'm very, very curious now how these Europa League slash Champions League games impact them heading into a March Classico. I don't know if both of these teams will get drawn against each other, let's say, in the Copa del Rey semifinals. That draw is on Monday, which we could see. And, and by the way, the semifinals are two-legged. So we could see two Classicos, which would bring us up to four total Classicos on the entire year with a fifth impending, which I believe would tie the record for most Classicos in the season going back to 2011 which saw them play in the Copa del Rey, saw them play in the league and the Champions League semifinals, as we famously know. So just a lot going on with Real Madrid. I do have to at least give them a shout out for avoiding a crisis and come back against Atletico. Yeah, I could have, again, I could have told you that in my sleep. But, (laughs) Rian, let's move on. Um, I do want to talk about another interesting topic. One that we briefly mentioned last week, but I want to go more in depth on because I think that really came out in both their... uh, quarterfinal tie in the Copa del Rey with Real Sociedad, which they won at home 1-0. Shout out Usman Dembele for actually making good decisions as something I've talked about as a common theme he has not done over the course of his Barcelona career or the course of his career career. Um, but his talent is second to none. I don't think anyone can doubt that. Um, Rian, before I jump into what I want to talk about with Barcelona, huh, I have a feel. I just. I don't. I, I don't. I don't know if this is the case. I just have a feeling that you're about to drop some stat on me that I've never heard before, or that I like. It's just super interesting. I just have that gut feeling. I truly don't know. <laughs> oh, I. I think I not one they've never heard of before, but but obviously I know you want to get into Barcelona's defensive record. Yes. Right. Um. And you know, they have conceded the fewest goals in Europe's top five leagues. <laughs> in, like, not just La Liga, in every league so far this season. And um, we, we know how great Ter Sagan has been this season. And, and a lot of, like, obviously, like, he has saved them in some games, right? But I think what's really encouraging is that they are tied for the best expected goals average in the league. <laughs> like, like the, it, it's not a... Fluke, like yes, he's he has saved them in games, and like they're running a bit like hot in that goals against category. But they are really, really, genuinely one of the best defensive teams in Europe, and it helps to also have a keeper that's playing really well <laughs> at the same time, right? Yeah. So again, it's a, a bit of that of what we talked about with Arsenal earlier. Great to be good. But also, you know, good and lucky, and the luck is kind of like your keeper being very good, yeah. and and also obviously being a bit lucky. And some, and there's definitely been cases where the ball just bounces in their favor too, right? So, um, but but it's all being backed up by actual like metrics that they are one of the best defensive teams. One hundred percent. 
And I, and I want to share a couple more things on that point. Barcelona's defensive record, I think, is the reason why they're in first place in La Liga. And one of the things I just want to compare from this point in the season to earlier back in about September, October, probably October timeframe, I think back to that game against Inter uh, at home and away and those, those two games that kind of were the reason why we were not in the Champions League uh, knockout rounds. The back line for those games was basically Sergio Roberto, PK. I forget who was the other second or the other center back. I believe it was Araujo. Um, and then Jordi Alba. The starting back line for Barcelona in, uh, I guess, what was their game? Who did they play this past weekend? They played Hitafe, which was a, a poor game, by the way, in and of itself. But um, the starting back line was quite literally entirely different from that point. Um, Sergio Roberto, I believe, did start actually in this game specifically, but usually it's now Jules Conde, Araujo, Christensen, and Balde. Completely different back line. So the reason why I think they are one of the best defensive teams in, in Europe and certainly in Spain is because there's been quite literally like a just completely different personnel, better personnel, right, at that. And you talked about from a defensive standpoint – what do the statistics say? The interesting thing about Barcelona for me was their game against Real Sociedad, which finished 1-0 in favor of Barcelona. But it was it was a game in which Barcelona created so many chances. And Real Sociedad, I believe, have the second uh, best expected goals per 90 against them in La Liga. I think Barcelona's is like 0.8 and Real Sociedad is like 0.82. So very similar in terms of like the chances and the expected goals that they concede. But the difference here is that Barcelona do have a very strong front three. And of course, Robert Lewandowski is in and of himself fantastic. That is what is going to win you titles. That is what's going to, is going to be what wins you league titles, uh, more importantly. And so when you put it into context, you have a Barcelona team that has a completely different backline. You have a Barcelona team that has one top two, top three highest xg slash chances creation in the league um, right now and oh they've only conceded one goal at home this entire season which was a penalty in the league and three of the six goals they've conceded in the league were against real madrid so yeah have they been lucky of course has ter Sagan been amazing absolutely but i think really that change in the back line was was what has, <laughs> has shifted dramatically uh the defensive form performance of this team I rest my case. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the back four has been really, especially in, in the game against Sociedad, I, there's a good relationship between, I think, Kunde and Dembele on that right side, too, because as we've seen with Xavi, at least one of those fullbacks are always kind of staying back. And it makes sense on Dembele's side, of course, right? Because you just kind of let him do all the running down the wings and, and especially let him get forward and just stay very high and you can let Kunde sit back and just kind of be there to cover if when there is the the bad decision from from Dembele right but um it's a really well balanced back line the the partnership between Christensen and Araujo is really good um just in terms of like their defending style obviously Araujo is more aggressive Christensen has always been more of like a calmer center back in and we'll kind of like sit back and read the play, read uh, the play a bit more. And then I think Balde has been really good in the last couple games, especially like um, he's taken over Jordi Alba's spot finally. But you're seeing, you see where like on, on his side of the pitch, like he's being allowed to go forward more. And especially when Gavi's the one who's sometimes playing on that left wing, he's naturally going to come inside a lot more, right? And that leaves a space for Balde. So it's, it's good balance. I, I really like the balance of the team right now. And, and defensively, they're, they've just been fantastic. I love it when we agree on things. It doesn't happen often or all the time, but it's nice to agree on something. Um, I, will, I will shift focus now, I guess, to kind of my last point, which is, of course, around the disappointments in, in La Liga. Um it's not about a specific team. It's just about a specific player leaving La Liga. Uh, Tanjuma leaving Villarreal for what we all thought was Everton. 
which we all thought I think was a shock, to I'm just confirming with you, he is now officially going to Spurs, right? Nothing has changed in the last day that I don't know about. Yeah, I, I don't I have no clue if it's been made official yet, but he is yes. <laughs> that okay. that is that's the prevailing prevailing reports now is that he's he did the dash from Everton as soon as he got the call. <laughs> I mean Bottom which who wouldn't? Who would not? <laughs> I don't I just don't understand this. I, so I've been doing some reading on this and Denjuma is a player, of course, as we all know now, scored six goals in last year's Champions League in the quarterfinals against Juventus and also against Bayern. Uh or, sorry, in the knockout rounds against Juve and then quarters against <laughs> Bayern. Um like I don't know how you go from that to Everton. I just don't know what the thought process was. And for the only thing that I've read is that there was maybe a slight falling out with the players and, and like stuff like that. But it's like, other than that, I actually just can't explain that move. It's not like we're talking about a washed up player or anything like that. So yeah, I'm just disappointed a that he's leaving La Liga and B that he was even thinking about going to Everton and now probably won't be starting for Spurs. I mean, he very well could. He, he could. But on the, at the onset, I don't think he will. So I got nothing. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah, I was a bit surprised, too, especially because, you know, Villarreal have a chance to make it into the Champions League again next season, right? And, uh, and honestly, between the two teams you wouldn't say that Tottenham's chances of making it to the top four are better than Valent than Villarreal's right now in, in La Liga. So um I think the only common denominator that that is left now is money. It's it's like it's just that's it's that's gotta be that's gotta be it. Why else would he have even considered going to Everton? I right? can't I, mean, I can't name a second episode money by the way, because that was literally the <laughs> last one. I can't do money part two, but you're probably not wrong. Yeah, you know, you, yeah, you're right. You don't need to put it, for, like, we could put it for every episode. It, it would actually explain a lot of what we're talking about. <laughs> it would explain everything. Oh, so why is football the way it is? Oh, money. Yeah, okay. Well, then we just don't have a podcast at that point. <laughs> That's so fair. Yeah, but it, it's it's a really, it's a, it was a surprising one, honestly. Um, And I agree with you. I think he goes into Tottenham and it's more attacking depth for them. Um, we talked about how poor of a season that Sun has been having, right? And and there's obviously a potential that Jen, Dan Juma could start over him. Uh, I, I guess I don't know how much better he makes Tottenham. Like, we, we've talked extensively about what their issues are, and I and and granted, we did talk about how poor Sun has been this season, and that's extrapolating everything, but. That's not really, I think, they're close to one of their biggest issues right now. Not necessarily attackers. <laughs> so, you know, they still have Richarlison there that they could play. Um, so, I, it's it's a bit of a... Like, if we if we tried not to think about the fact that Danjuma's salary is potentially, like, quadrupled <laughs> <laughs> like from, from playing for Villarreal, um, yeah, it's... It, from a career standpoint, um, I th- I think it's at best a lateral move right for right now. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. Well, I'll leave you all with this thought. With the last thing I'm looking forward to, at least in La Liga, is it's actually not any games upcoming this weekend. Um, it's the Copa del Rey draw uh, on Monday. I'm very excited to see who we get. We'll probably get a Classico two-legged affair because those things are definitely rigged. But you didn't hear it from me. Um, but I'm very excited because this is the first time in at least the quarterfinal stages too, that we saw basically like all big six teams in Spain, uh, in, in a very long time, if not ever to my historic knowledge, um, all basically fighting for a a semifinal spot. And now we have four incredible teams vying for a final spot. So it's probably one of the most competitive Copa del Rey, um, I guess, campaigns that we've seen in the last 10 years, probably. So I'm very excited for that. Um, I will say this. There's um, a couple. There's Basically, there was an announcement today from La Liga that there's some sort of partnership with, like, uh, some North American company 
our American company that they're bringing like more sponsors and stuff like that. And you know how like NBC does their whole like match days in the U S for the Premier league. I think there's going to be something similar with La Liga soon. So if, uh, if Paramount's doing one for Syria. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so football spreading. So I'm also looking forward to that as well. Uh, but anyway, with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for listening. We'll be back in a couple of days talking, probably about the Eagles too at some point, uh, regardless of how that game goes on Sunday and of course all the football around it. So thank you as always. Thanks guys.